Genesis 3, verse 14. And the Lord God said unto the serpent. The Lord God said unto the serpent. Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. I love this. It shall bruise Thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now, don't don't look at this and say, "How sad! I'm going to have a bruised heel." I want you to understand what this means. It means you have so much power to put the enemy under your feet that there is going to be an indelible mark left on your heel. There is coming a day. That it's going to be said beyond a shadow of a doubt that the enemy has been put under our feet. He may have bruised our heel along the way, but we have crushed his head. We have bruised his head. In the scripture, the head always represents authority. So I just preached to you. Right there. That's the word. When he said he's going to bruise your head... That means you will have absolutely no authority. I am stripping your authority from you, and you are being put under the foot of the seed of Adam. Aren't you thankful today that we are overcomers? I said we are overcomers. Amen. Um, I want to preach to you today from a very simple title. But I believe God's going to help us in this house. And uh, I want you to help me with this title today. I want to preach to you, He Hath Prevailed. Turn to your neighbor and tell him this morning, The Lord has prevailed. You may be seated in Jesus' name. I... uh, I want to give God thanks today for the way that he answers us, the way that he works. God does not manipulate. He controls. There's a difference. He does not have to manipulate the enemy to get his way. He does not have to make a deal or a bargain with the enemy to get him to leave. God is the final authority. God has the final say. There is nothing that the enemy can do by what he did not first receive permission from your father to have that power in order to do that. Matthew 28 and verse 18 declares to us, Jesus said that all power in heaven and in earth is given to him. Now you can try to 
Greekify it. You can try to Hebrewify it. You can try to do an exegetical study on it, rip it apart, and bust off into some kind of expository exegetical teaching on Matthew 28, 18. But let me just break this down and make it real simple for you, okay? All power in heaven. All power in the earth. That means over his head, under his feet, everywhere around him, he's all powerful. That means he is not intimidated. He's not set back. He's not afraid. He doesn't struggle. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't slumber. He's not worried today. He's not biting his nails saying, what am I going to do with all the power that's been released in the earth? Understand, he is the source of the power that has been released in this earth. And there is no power of darkness that can ever withstand against the power of our almighty God. He is the first and he is the last. Before there was a devil, there was God. Before there was darkness, there was God. Before there was evil, there was God. And all power is in his hands this morning. Now this is going to sound real, real simple unless you're the one on the receiving end of this. I want to bring this down to an everyday understanding where we can comprehend this. I want to tell somebody in this room this morning that before there ever was a headache, there was a healer. Now I don't want nobody, I don't want nobody falling asleep. That was awful deep right there. Before there was ever a headache, there was a healer. That matters to you if you've been the one with the headache. Brother Watson told me this morning that for the last several weeks, he's had a migraine headache all but four days, four or five days. He said Friday night they were, they were watching the video. He said as the power of God began to fall in the house in Nashville, Tennessee. That right here in Anderson, Indiana, he said it was like something grabbed a hold from my neck to right here between my shoulder blades and began to stretch out my spine while the word of God was going forth. And he said, I have not had a single headache since Friday. Do you know why? Because his power is not limited to a room. It is not limited to a building. He has all power in heaven, all power in the earth. That's why when we call on the name of the Lord in this room right now, that his voice can travel to a prodigal. His voice can travel to a hospital. Hallelujah, I feel my help here right now. His healing voice has the power to leave this room and challenge that infirmity. Praise God. Now, chapter 3 of the book of Genesis is known as the temptation chapter. The temptation chapter. It begins by saying to us how the serpent was more subtle than any other beast. Now, I want to tell you what it does not say to us. That the serpent was more powerful than any other beast. I think some of us had this picture painted for us. And I partly blame Hollywood a little bit for this. But you know, 
There's going to be a few people in here that are going to know what I'm saying when I say the name MacGyver. MacGyver could fix a hole in the side of a 747 jet with two pieces of duct tape, a pocket knife, and a piece of bubble gum and keep that plane in the air. When you were a kid and you saw uh, cartoons or even if, if you were never addicted to a, 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 a one-eyed devil, if, if you were a book reader, I, I, got, uh, I got some stuff in my library written by a man by the name of Louis L'Amour. You ever heard of him? He's a good old cowboy, just a country boy. And there's something about the way that he writes and the way that storylines are given that it's like, sincerely, from the very first page that you read, you already know what's going to happen. Like, it's already decided that if you were to skip chapters 3 through 12, you already know that the Sackett brothers are getting ready to put a whooping on somebody's head. And the gold-digging jerk that has killed people and ran everybody off and hurt everybody's feelings and burned people's houses down, all he's fixing to get what's coming to him. But while you're reading the story, it's like you're looking at these two equal powers that are opposite to each other, and it's good fighting evil, and it's light fighting darkness, and you're all tensed up and you're squeezed up and you can't even go to sleep and put the book down. And it's like we've got this image in our mind that Jesus is the Sackett brothers and that Lucifer is the villain. And it's like we get this picture. Carmen painted this picture for us. I don't know how many of you 80s children will remember Satan bite the dust. You kids roll your eyes at me. 80s is not old. And he did this video of Carmen walking up to this saloon. Carmen, he's, he's, he did this video. He walks up to this saloon, and Lucifer is in there doing whatever he's doing, drinking. Anybody remember it? And that the doors go. He walks in, he says, Party's over, shut them down. I'm hunting for someone, y'all. He's a lying, thieving rattlesnake, and he's broken every law, and he starts in. And the end of the story, he says, Satan, and you hear the <laughs> bite the dust. <laughs> Boom. Burn da 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 I understand the concept, and I'm not throwing down on Carmen. I was a fan, even when my mother wasn't. I was a fan. Me and Jody wanted to go to a Carmen concert. My mother, my God, we might as well have been going to see Guns N' Roses. And I was a Carmen fan. But I want to tell you folks something, okay? I just want to tell you something. I, I, don't, I don't want to over-preach this thing right here, but I got to get something in your spirit. I don't care how good they draw the picture. This is not a picture of two equal powers duking it out. 
that Jesus in the end of this thing is going to barely defeat the devil. I, 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 don't, I don't at all want you to get the picture in your mind that the church of the living God is going to come sliding in at the last moment on that day of judgment when we come before the Lord. And we're going to come in beat up and bruised up and bloody. And oh my God, what in the world are we going to do? I'm telling you right now that before that day ever gets here, it has already been established in the word of God. Before Peter opened his mouth on the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts, the second chapter, the Lord looked at Peter and said unto him, I will build my church upon this rock and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It was a promise from the Lord that before there was a church there was victory. Before there was sickness there was a healer. I feel like telling somebody that the healer is in the house this morning. We draw this picture in Sunday school for kids that you've got God and then you've got Satan and it's like they are somehow equal. We paint this picture of light and darkness. And that Satan's coming against the Lord with everything that he has. But I only have one issue with the idea of teaching it in that concept. And that comes from John chapter 1. As you read down through the chapter of John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Somebody say it was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Look at that. Man, that's some fast fingers back there. It's a good thing you're not a gunfighter, bro. He wouldn't have a chance with you either. Light the dust. Go ahead. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light. Somebody say the light of men. And the light shineth into darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. I used to read this when I was a kid. I would say, oh, how sad. The light came into a dark world, and they didn't receive him. They couldn't comprehend what he was doing. But I think the context of this word brings a lot more light and power when you understand that comprehend does not mean that they didn't understand it. They did not receive it. As a matter of fact, the context of this word is that the light shined into darkness, but the darkness could not consume it. The darkness could not put it out. The darkness was not powerful enough to comprehend, to put down, to hide the power of the light. What this verse is telling us, John is not saying that the light came and the Jews did not receive him. What he's saying is, is that there was darkness, but when the light stepped in, everything, oh God, I feel the Holy Ghost. Everything changed. It does not mean that the darkness went away. It means that when the light was there, there was nothing that darkness could do about it. I feel like telling the darkness that you brought with you in this house today, the bad news, the darkness, the depression, the sickness. I feel like telling you today that the darkness cannot comprehend the light. It cannot comprehend his power. 
Somebody shout, he's a mighty God. So the serpent, he's more subtle than any beast, but he's not more powerful. And he comes to the woman and he beguiles her. And you can read through the story very quickly. Is the account of sin. The sad picture to me is the very same picture that we see painted today. It is known as the temptation chapter. And what's so sad to me is that a family was expelled from paradise. Work began to happen by the sweat of the brow. Man, that was a good word this week. And heels are bruised and things are broken. But listen, what's so sad to me and this is what I, I, I want to slow way down and get this to you today. It's the same story of today. It did not have to be that way. Because temptation is not a sin. Is, is, that, is that slow enough that everybody's understanding what I'm saying to you? You're, you're feeling like you cannot get victory because you're always tempted. If you are always tempted, that means you're walking in victory. Is that, is that, do you understand what I'm saying to you today? If he is always tempting you, that means he's got to offer you something that you don't have. He is offering you relationships that you're not in. He is painting for you. Man, I wish you'd get this right here. He is painting for you pictures of things that you're not presently dealing with. It is a window saying, whatever I've got to do to lure them away from their purpose. Temptation is not a sin. Jesus Christ was tempted in every manner like as we yet. What did he say? Come on, shout it. Temptation is not sin. He was tempted yet without sin. Some of you are beating your brains out saying, oh, I don't know why I'm tempted all the time. I don't know why I'm tempted all the time. You ought to rejoice in it because the devil's trying to get a hold of something that he don't have hold of. He's trying to get access to something that he does not have access to. Oh, my God. I know it's Sunday morning, but I'm having a real hard time right now. I want to just dance and shout. I could just about take off running around this room. I want you to stop beating yourself up over being tempted. That is the testimony that he cannot have you. He cannot. Oh, mama. Now, history is a moved point. It's finished. It's done. It is what it is. Adam and Eve sinned. They fell to it. They were beguiled by a serpent that was more subtle than any other beast. It happened. It's over. It's finished by the first man, Adam. How many of you believe the word is true? That by one man, sin entered in. Anybody want to finish the rest of the scripture? And by one man, sin was fixed. One man Cause sin to enter in. Another man, by the power of his name, washes sin away. Yes, they fell. 
Yes, they messed up. Yes, it created problems. Yes, some of you women may get the opportunity to punch her between the eyes. When you're laying there pushing out a baby, ah, I hate Eve. I understand you don't like her. But you hear this preacher when I tell you today. The failure of man was not the end of the story. God didn't just boot them out of the garden and then say, sorry. That's your consequence. You're done. Forget about it. Not going to worry about it. Not going to fix it anymore. The Lord has spent two chapters, what we see as chapters now, in the book of Genesis speaking Creating with the power of his word. The power of his word. Let there be light. Let there be. Let there be. And then God would say, it was good. And then he created man and he said, he is very good. And then he said, it's not good for man to be alone. So it was a creative power that he puts together a woman out of the rib of this man. And then man enters into sin. And the Lord asked the first question that he ever asked recorded in the pages of biblical history. And the question was, where are you? Not that he didn't know where they were geographically. He was saying, where are you? What are you doing? Why are you here? You don't have to be here. You you don't have to face this. And all of a sudden there is a shift. And now God goes from speaking to creation. Now to conversing with his created. And he says to him, where are you? What, what, what's going on in your life? And Adam said, well, we, 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 we heard your voice. And we hid ourselves in the garden because we were naked. And we were afraid. And now there is communication between God and what he created. And this is the power of the book of Genesis. That man had an opportunity and they failed. But big deal. Their failure does not define your failure today and so here's what happens I love this this is so powerful searching through the scripture you're going to find out that God is a God of prophecy there's an entire section of the Old Testament scripture that we call the prophets because God used prophetic ministry and prophetic word to keep his kingdom in alignment the power of prophecy and I believe that's for the New Testament church as well I don't believe it's any accident the fivefold ministry is apostles prophets evangelists pastors teachers I believe it's for the edifying of the body and for the perfecting of the saints in other words without these ministries the church cannot be perfected right but let us look in the scripture you're going to find that in Genesis chapter 3 Verses 14 and 15 that we read this morning. It is the very first word of prophecy in the scripture. The very first prophecy that comes out of the mouth of the Lord is written like this. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed. And you're going to go the rest of your days on your belly eating dust. The first prophecy out of the mouth of the Lord is that this man that you have beguiled, I'm going to give him seed. And from here until that eternal judgment, you will live your life under the heel of that seed. The very first prophetic utterance out of the mouth of God is that you got power to tread on the serpent can I tell 
somebody this morning, you are not that far from a breakthrough. Your failure is not that big. You have not ran too far. The word of God said you've got power. I know, I know. We think it waited till the New Testament. We think it waited till the New Testament for that to be breakthrough. No, no, no. The prophetic word was as soon as man fell, he looked at the serpent. He said, I prophesy over you right now. And I say that because you did this, you are absolutely cursed. So you just remember the next time that subtle beast comes in and tries to beguile you and try to make you feel like you are less than what God created you to be and tries to make you feel like your failure is final and tries to make you feel like there is no hope. You just remind him that every word that God speaks is true and Lucifer there's already oh God there's already been a prophecy that's been spoken over you you are under my feet (laughs) can you believe that the first prophecy the Lord ever speaks in history says he's already under my feet. Uh, that may not excite you like it does me. That means things that I used to worry about. I don't have to worry about it no more. Things that make me want to lose a night's sleep. Don't worry about it. God's got this. Well, but Pastor, I'm embarrassed. Don't be embarrassed. But I really messed up this time. Don't worry about it. Don't be, don't, don't, don't be embarrassed. I need you to get this down deep in your heart. Somebody shout this. I am victorious. Well, I don't feel victorious. Well, you need to start feeling victorious. Because some of you think victory is a feeling. Victory is not a feeling. Victory is a promise. That even when I don't feel like I'm winning, I know I'm winning. I don't have to read the back of the book. Oh! I don't have to read the last word. I can read the first word. And the first word said, you're defeated. I want to tell you today, he's a God that not only gets the last word, he gave us the first word. And the last word lines up with the first word. You are victorious. You are a winner. You are more than a conqueror. Hey, my, my, my. Now, I don't have a bunch of time today to get off in the deep end of the pool here, so I'm just going to stay in the shallow end, if that's all right with you, for just a few minutes. But I want to take you very quickly to Revelation chapter 5. Usually when you say Revelation, people start thinking about end-time prophecy. But I just want to focus on one little, one little picture here that John saw. John saw a lot of things that I wish we had power or the time rather to talk about the power of the visions that he saw in its fullness. But there's one little point that I really want to extract for you today out of Revelation chapter 5. And I saw in the right hand of him, of him. I hope that's written right. I saw the right hand of 
him. Not them, right? Anybody in the Bible say them? Anybody? It just says him? Whew, I was getting worried that there was more than one throne for a minute. Whew. I saw the right hand of him that sat on. Oh, somebody shout it. Whew, boy, I sure am glad there's not another throne at a right hand. He said, I saw the right hand of him that sat on the throne, a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. Now, we're not going to go deep here. Don't worry about the seven and the seals and all that. We'll talk about it some other time. He said, but I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, worthy. Worthy. Who? Who is worthy? There's nobody that is worthy to open the seals of the book. And John is just absolutely blown away because the angel said, who's worthy? There's nobody to open the book. And he said, there's no man under heaven. There's no man in the earth. Go ahead. Yeah. Who's able to open the book? Wasn't even worthy to look at it. John said, oh, it broke my heart. God's trying to show the church something. This is a letter to seven churches. God's trying to show them. I see right now in the right hand of the man is seated on the throne. There's a book. But all the angels can say is, there's nobody that can open it. There's nobody that's worthy. There's nobody in the heavens. There's nobody in the earth. There's nobody. Somebody shout nobody. nobody. There's nobody that's worthy. And John said, oh, my God. What are we going to do? He starts weeping. He said, oh, there's nobody that can open the book. There's nobody that can read the book. And he's just like weeping and crying. Listen, King James said it like this. I wept much. He didn't say a tear or two flow. You can see by the language in the original Greek manuscript that John is like convulsing in weeping. He is shaking all over as God is showing him this book in the hand of the Lord. And the angels are saying, who is worthy? None are worthy in the heavens or in the earth. And John said, oh God, will we ever see what you're trying to show the church? Verse 5, one of the elders slipped up to me in the vision that I had seen all these elders. He said, this elder slipped up to me and said, John, stop crying. Don't weep. It's like there's a puzzled look that comes on the face of John. He's weeping greatly. His eyes are all swollen up. Looked like he's just got a big old whooping from his daddy, you know. John is weeping and crying and the elder had the audacity to step out of the cloud of witnesses and step down to John and say, excuse me, son, I noticed that you were weeping, but I don't want you to weep. He said, I don't want you to weep anymore. Behold the lion of the, hey, of the tribe of Judah. Who is the root of David hath prevailed. He said, John, you're weeping about a book that you thought was going to be closed. But the line of the tribe of Judah has already prevailed. And he's opened up the book and he's loose the seven seals. 
He said, John, what you're weeping about, God has already prevailed in it. What you're worried about, he's already prevailed. I want to tell somebody this morning that's facing insurmountable circumstances, he has already prevailed. Light of the tribe of Judah had prevailed over the book and loosed the seven seals. And I beheld low in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as if it had been slain. Having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. Don't get hung up. He came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps. And golden vials full of odors. Which are. Which are the prayers of the saints. Do you know why there was prevailing power? You know why the line of the tribe of Judah hath prevailed? Because the elders brought forth this vial. And they opened it up. And there was a church in 2019. At 630 West 53rd Street. That are storing some things up in vials. And the Lord said I want you to know. That every prayer you've been praying. Every word that you have spoken. It's rising before my throne. Hey I feel like telling you this morning. Keep on praying. Keep on praying. Keep on praying. Keep on believing. The elders are taking it before the throne. And the lion has prevailed. Oh, God, I feel something in here right now. I'm trying to finish, but I feel him. Woo! When he had taken the book, the beast and the four elders, the beast and the uh, four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song. That saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and has made us under our God kings and priests. And we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beast and the elders and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing I don't have time to finish out the chapter, but I want to tell you this is a preview of what your prayer time should sound like right here. We ought not come before the Lord so worried about what's going on that we are constantly begging and petitioning. He said, I saw 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, and the only thing they could say is worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. I refuse to tell God how big my trouble is but I want to tell my trouble
Worthy is the Lamb. He hath prevailed. I'm finishing up today. The first word of prophecy that the Lord gave was not to the church. It was to Lucifer. But the last word of prophecy that the Lord gives is to the church. The last recorded written words of Christ is in the book of Revelation. Chapter 22 and verse number 20. He which testifies these things saith, Surely I come quickly. The first prophetic word was, Devil, you're going down. And then he shows John the vision of that serpent, that accuser of the brethren, being wrapped in a great chain. And cast down into that bottomless pit. Verse 7. He said, Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. And I, John, saw these things and heard them. And when I had heard and seen... I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel which showed me these things. Then saith unto me, See thou do it not, for I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren the prophets and of them which keep the sayings of this book. Worship God. John, don't worship the angel. Worship God. Because there's never been an angel that robed himself in flesh and dwelt among us. But God Almighty robed himself in flesh and dwelled among us. And we beheld his glory as of the only begotten. Not only does he have the first word, but God always gets the final word. I know you're standing at attention this morning and ready for the music to play. But I want to share a story with you. I felt compelled to do this. I reached out to Pastor Hill yesterday, Pastor Adam Hill, who's one of this church's favorites. I know you love him and so do I. He's a blessing in my life. But he told his story and I had him send it to me. I had it typed up. So I'm going to read it in his words and not mine, okay? He said, Jesus is amazing. And this is proof that he always gets the last word. Gregory Stoltz was a boy that came to our church when he was about 10 years of age. I watched him grow up and had the opportunity to teach him in Sunday school. And then he got older and uh, I, along with others, taught him in our teen class. He lived in a rough town, rough neighborhood, and at times he had a rough home. Drugs were part of upbringing. It was all around him. With that being said... In hopes to get away from that kind of life, he joined the military. He became a Marine. He then graduated to become a Marine recon. He was a tough kid. I will never forget the day that his dad brought him into the church and brought him up for prayer. And his father asked us to pray for protection because he was being deployed to active duty in Afghanistan. We anointed him with oil, built his faith, and tried to ease his fears. He said it was a couple months later that we were at church for some event when Billy, Greg's dad, walked in the back door with tears running off of his cheeks, he grabbed me and he hugged me tight. 
and he informed me that Greg had been killed in action. It was one of the feelings that I had never felt before, he said. So jumping ahead to the funeral, he said, I walked into the funeral home and it was chaos. Marines were everywhere. He said, I got in a mile that was like a mile long. And he said, I don't believe it was an accident. And when I got in line, I ended up standing right behind the wife of Greg's platoon leader. This is the man that held Greg's hand when he took his last breath. Her husband was still deployed. And at his request, his wife flew from California to pay respects to this fallen soldier. She found out at the time that I was the assistant pastor and got all teary-eyed and wanted to tell me something that had changed her and her husband's life forever. She looked at me and she said, you're oneness, right? I said, yeah. She said, well, I want to tell you, my husband grew up a Trinitarian. She went on to tell me that during the times that they weren't in training, that her husband and Greg would get into heated arguments and discussions and both try to convince each other what truth was. Sometimes it got extremely heated and it was frowned upon because of the difference in rank. Greg was so much lower, but they took their pens off and they took all that and put it aside to debate doctrine because it mattered to the two of them. And they walked back into the barracks and into the tent. They were master sergeant, whatever they had to be. But for the time, they were discussing the word of God and they, neither one would budge on their doctrine. Anyhow, the day that Greg was shot, he had parachuted and jumped out of a plane. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost up here because I know where I'm going. He had parachuted onto a roof of a building with the rest of his platoon. And when he landed, a few minutes later, he was shot in the stomach by the Taliban. They said, she's telling this to Brother Hill. Her husband said that when Greg was shot, he was laying there dying on the roof of the building. They were holding pressure on his belly where he'd been shot. He said he closed his eyes. And all of a sudden, he began to speak in a language that none of them understood. Greg died laying there speaking in other tongues. And as he did, his platoon leader began to weep. And he looked around at all the men that had heard Greg speak in tongues as he breathed his last breath. And he said it was with intensity that he turned around. You can imagine in the moment the adrenaline of that sergeant. He turned around, he looked at those men, and he said, did you feel what I just felt? He said, do you feel the power that I feel on this roof right now? He stood up and he declared to that group of men on the roof that day. He said, if this oneness message is good enough for Greg, it's good enough for me. The lady was in tears and she looked at Pastor Hill and she said, well, I guess Greg has converted two Trinitarians. He always, he always gets the last word. But that's not the last word. About a year or so later, Greg's dad was at church. And a man walked up to him and said, Hey, who does the truck belong to out there in the parking lot that says in memory of Greg Stoltz? Brother Bill said, It's my truck. He said, Well, I have a young man that goes to our church that knew Greg and he was there 
the day that he died, apparently, of all the things that God lines up, Brother Kevin, this is so incredible to me, but this came from the father of this man. He said, apparently, Greg was replacing his son on the shift. So as he parachutes down and he lands, he starts to pull his gear up. The guy that he is coming to replace, of course, they're full, full bearded and covered because they're trying to be, you know, hiding out and all this stuff. And this guy comes running. He's headed uh, to get on a helicopter and leave. And he stops and he looks right at Greg and he said, are you Greg Stoltz? And they keep walking. And Greg says, yeah, how do you know who I am? He said, we went to church camp together in Fortville. He said, I got on the helicopter, Dad. And he said, I heard the round go off. And he said, I had watched Greg walk away from me knowing we went to camp meeting together at Apostolic Jesus Name Church Camp. And he said, I watched the bullet hit him. And he said, I saw him fall down on the ground. And as the men gathered around him, he said, I was, I was watching him as he began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit of God gave the utterance. Not only did God refill Greg Stoltz with the Holy Ghost, but he sent a backslider along his way. You know why God would do that? On a rooftop in the middle of Afghanistan, in the middle of satanic warfare. I'll tell you why. Because he always gets the last word. If you're wondering that if there's hope this morning, let me just go ahead and tell you, he hath prevailed. So here's what I need you to do. We're going to exercise faith right now because it's in the house. If you're facing something today that you just don't know how to fix it, you don't know how to climb it, you don't know how to get past this mountain, it's a river that you think is uncrossable. Mom, all I can hear this morning is that old song burning in my mind. Do you have any rivers that you think are uncrossable? you have any mountains you cannot tunnel through? My God specializes in things impossible. And he can do what no other power can do I ain't even got enough to sing it y'all do whatever you're going to do here's what I want you to know this morning you may be standing right now looking at a mountain that you say ain't no way you might be standing at a river right now saying it's impossible you might be looking at a valley right now that you think there's no way I can get from here to where I need to go but I feel like telling somebody in the Holy Ghost with a prophetic anointing in this house he hath prevailed. This is not future tense, John. He hath prevailed. It's a done deal, John. He hath prevailed. It is finished. It is done. Give him praise, John, the lion of the tribe of Judah. So without anybody asking you, I'm not going to give an altar call. It's already given. You know me. It's given when I take my text. But if you're here today trying to figure out how you're going to make it happen, I dare you to just get faith all over you right now. Throw them hands in the air and step out and say, all right, God, I don't know how you're going to do it, but I declare you have prevailed. 
You have prevailed. You have prevailed in my family. You have prevailed in my home. I'm not going to die lost. I'm not going to die undone. It has been finished. And you have prevailed. Come on, lift him up this morning.